<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Welcome to Circa. In Adventure Smart, we're diving into the world of adventurous travel. We're learning how to navigate the globe safely and wisely, venturing off the beaten path and embracing the unknown. If you're eager to delve deeper into the destinations and stories that we tell, visit CircaTravel.com and download the Circa app. That's C-E-R-C-A. Inside, you'll discover detailed maps, notes, and photos, along with immersive guides to the world's most captivating places and top-tier travel podcasts. So strap on your backpack, turn on your headphones, and get ready for the first step into uncharted territory. Circa, love the world you live in, and we'll help you explore it safely and smartly. There are a lot of different kinds of risks, and certainly, anytime you go out into the world, you're taking on some amount of risk. In this episode, we ask Bob to help us understand real risk versus apparent risk and risk appetite. These are important concepts to keep in the front of your brain when you travel, because it's very easy to get overwhelmed by an apparent big risk, like a toothless shark coming your way, without realizing that the real danger is the tiny poisonous jellyfish. This is Adventure Smart. I'm Bob Parr. Let's get into more guidance and advice on how to keep yourself safe as you travel around the world. So what are we talking about here? Are we talking about real risk or are we talking about risk as it appears to be? You can talk about risk in things like television. I used to be a, something of a television producer back in the day, really a risk management expert, I suppose. I shot a show some years ago in Bora Bora, in uh, French Polynesia, as you do, you know, it's there for three months. It was uh, Dating Naked, MTV show. And so we had this one challenge where they're, they're going on these dates and they're naked. And so we took them shark swimming. We put them in amongst about 20 sharks and we chucked this boy and this girl in. And the sharks weren't coming close enough, so the producer 
said to me, can we just throw some of the bait fish to attract the sharks? I said, yeah, sure. You threw a handful of bait and the sharks came, go crazy and come a bit closer. And the, uh, the competitor, he, he was a guy with a, a very large penis. I have to say, it was uh, demoralizing and intimidatingly large. And of course, he cupped his hands over his, uh, uh, over his um, manhood. And he said, get out of here. Get out. Stop. So the producer said, can we throw the fish a bit closer? So I said, well, yeah, a little bit. And so he threw it a little bit closer and the sharks came closer. He said, get out of here, get out of here. And with that, the producer picked up an entire huge handful and threw this fish straight at the guy. And all these about 20 sharks come in, they're bumping off this guy and chowing down. He's going, they're going to bite my, they're going to eat my, God, man, you guys are crazy. Because you didn't realise they were nurse sharks, so they've just got these tiny little mouths. But, I don't know, tiny little mouth, maybe. Big enough, who knows? So, the real risk to the audience is one thing, isn't it? The apparent risk to the competitors is something else. When you're talking about real risk versus apparent risk, you can talk about it in the real world. Something that, when you're going into a new place... It doesn't seem particularly risky, but because you haven't done any background research, you are blind to the risks and are therefore at very significant risk. So you're in a bar. You've had a few drinks. It's been a great night. Gradually, the people that you were with have thinned out and maybe you're pretty much left on your own or maybe there's a couple of you together, who knows. Point is that you're a little bit drunk. You're not drunk enough to need to go to bed you probably still want a party. The bar may be getting close to being closed. And half an hour ago, some dude started talking to you and he's also an American or he's uh, from Europe or doesn't necessarily have to be a local. Someone that is apparently familiar, to be trusted. Great guy telling you about the local scene, where the local girls are, where the local boys are, where the local dance places are, where you can get a drink a little bit later on. He tells you about this fantastic club that's just around the way. And taking him at his word, you follow him along. You go out and you go down the road and you go to this club. As you're in that original bar and as you're talking to this guy and he's describing this place to you, the apparent risk of going to that place seems negligible because here's a guy to be trusted. So willingly you follow along and what the fellow is actually doing, he's setting you up for something. It may be as innocent as, well, he said it was a bar, but actually it's a brothel. And all he's trying to do is entice foreign visitors into this place so that the girls can hit on you and you can have a good time and everybody can make good money. And that's cool and groovy. But also he may be taking you into that bar and then suddenly he's not there, he's gone. So you don't even suspect him because you're innocent. And then you get robbed or somebody spikes your drinks and you end up unconscious, uh, something worse. Or on the way to the bar, it's off the main thoroughfare and it's down a little bit of a dark back street and you can see the lights of the bar ahead of you, but you get halfway down there and five other guys jump out the shadows and again they rob you. So the apparent risk in accepting that guy's invitation to you appeared very, very small, but the real risk was actually very, very high indeed. That's an example, a little bit of an extreme example, and one that's really related to security during your travel. 
In the wonderful world of television, the risk can indeed be real to the audience, but it doesn't necessarily have to be real to the contributors. I shot a show some years ago for the History Channel. It was called Shadow Force. I was an executive producer of the show and a co-owner of the show as well. We went to the Democratic Republic of the Congo, otherwise known as DRC. And DRC has been for many years one of the most unstable and dangerous countries of the world. So we decided to take this particular show to the eastern end of DRC on the border of Rwanda. That's been the scene of some appalling situations there, including genocidal activity and the death of millions of people in appalling circumstances. So very, very unstable place. And when you look at it from the outside, you say, could we possibly take a television show in there? Well, I surrounded myself with experts in that part of the world, a wonderful woman called Laura Engelbrecht, who's a former State Department official. She'd been over there for some period of time during the mid-1990s when genocide was actually being enacted. And I had some other people, former Delta Force guy, myself, such as it's worth. So we went in there armed with a significant amount of knowledge and indeed local contacts, both within the military and on the diplomatic side through Laura. The real risk of going to that place was pretty manifest. We shot three episodes there, based out of the town of Goma. It's on the northern end of Lake Kivu, one of the most beautiful lakes you'll find anywhere in the world. It's surrounded by mountains, clad in forest. You've got mountain gorillas in the one direction, lowland gorillas in the other direction. And gorillas of a different kind inhabiting the forest. And they are the tattered remains of the genocidal intertribal warfare that existed in the 1990s. So they comprise principally two groups. There are the Hutu and there are the Tutsi. And I dare say there are some nuances in this, but basically in the Virunga forest, which is the highland forest on the northern end of Lake Kivu, is where the Tutsi are. And on the western banks of Lake Kivu, in the lowland forests, you have the Hutu. What separates these two areas out are a whole bunch of refugee camps, IDP camps, internally displaced people camps. And you also have the second largest United Nations deployment in the world. When we were there, it was the largest UN mission in the world, uh, comprising something like 11,000 troops on the ground, basically keeping the rebels apart from each other and protecting these very vulnerable local people and indeed people that had fled from Rwanda. So what we're looking at is considering real risk versus apparent risk. One of the episodes that we shot there was looking at the logging out at an industrialised level of the Virunga Forest, which is the second largest tropical rainforest in the world. And that's being done by the Tutsi rebels that still inhabit that area. There's somewhere between 10 and 20,000 of these people living up in the forests. They don't have any industry and they don't have any money and they don't have any support from the international community. So what they do is they chop down the trees, they create these massive great big kilns of the chopped down logs and branches and tree trunks, set fire to them. And then in the dying embers of the fire, they rake out the product and the product is charcoal. Charcoal really is the electricity of that part of the world, of Central Africa. It powers virtually everything. It gives you light, it enables you to cook. And so therefore there's a very large black market in this and the black market brings the charcoal down into the town of Goma. And it's people from the IDP camps that bring that down, some of the most vulnerable people in the world. They carry these whacking great big sacks full of uh, charcoal and they receive very scant reward for it. 
I wanted to illustrate some of this as a television producer, and one of the best ways of doing it would be to go up into the forest and somehow find one of these burning kilns so that we could, on camera, have a genuine burning kiln up in the high Virunga forest, stuffed full of rebels. And maybe we would find some people there. Maybe we would find some of these Tutsi rebels. Now, of course, they're heavily armed. So to go up into the forest there, and there's a whacking great big mountain there. I can't remember the name of the mountain, forgive me, but it's on the northern end of Lake Kivu and it overlooks the town of Goma and erupts on a monotonously regular basis and sends flowing rivers of lava down into the city and kills any number of people and spews out noxious gases. The mountain itself is 16,000 feet high. And while we were there, it was spewing red-hot ash and debris into the air, 1,000 feet, 1,500 feet into the air, continuously, 24-7. I think the year or 18 months before we were there, it had actually erupted and sent a lava flow right down through the centre of the city of Goma and into the lake. And, of course, people were once again building houses on the frozen remains of the lava flow, <laughs> which was extraordinary to see. In many respects, quite dangerous to be there, no matter how much precursor research you do. And going up into the forest, obviously dangerous. So what we actually did was, because we are who we are, and I was determined to keep everything real on this show, we had an arrangement with the Congolese Defence Force, whereby we too were armed, and that's very, very unusual. Even in the world of private security, you don't often go armed unless it is actually a war zone. And to have what are essentially a bunch of white Western people patrolling around with loaded AK-47s up into that area, along with the park rangers, was really quite something. And it was the embracing of a level of real risk, which was not necessary. And the reason I say it's not necessary is because, as I said, the risk can indeed be real to the audience, but it doesn't have to be real to the contributors. So another way of shooting that would have been just go just outside Goma and find a little bit of forest where there are no rebels and artificially construct a charcoal kiln, set fire to it, have it burning. And you could go in there and to the audience, the appearance of risk would have been very, very high. But the real risk to us, the contributors on that show would have been very, very low. We'll be right back after a short break. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. 
Hyundai. There's joy in every journey. There are a couple of examples of real risk versus apparent risk. I'm the kind of person then that I'm very, very nervous when I'm looking at a potential destination. Maybe you can't even figure going there. That speaks to a thing that we call risk appetite. And risk appetite is actually quite an important concept. Businesses do this all the time. Business investors want to invest in a business that's going to go into a very, very difficult country. How much are they prepared to roll the dice on losing money on their investment? Some of the biggest profits are made where the biggest risks exist. You look at the oil extraction industry, it's a very, very tough industry. It operates in some of the most dangerous parts of the world. And the stakes are very, very high. If they get it right, billions of dollars are going to be made in terms of profit. If they get it wrong, it's a high investment industry. All of their investment, the $500 million drilling platform that they're going to put off the coast of Africa, ultimately, it, it may come to nothing. They may actually lose their capital investment and they may lose a heck of a lot of money. So they obviously, as an industry, has a very, very high appetite for risk. Well, you as a traveller, you may have a high appetite for risk and you don't give a damn. On the other hand, you may just be super, super scared. My God, if I'm going to go to that city, it has such a reputation. Medellin, Colombia. Oh my God, you know, isn't that where Pablo Escobar used to be based out of? Isn't that where all the narco stuff goes on? And in the urban areas, you have these slum areas. But I hesitate to use the word slum because slum in our minds, it suggests something that is dirty and unkempt and full of disease and all the rest of it. And that isn't really the characterization of those places in South America. The characterization is more that they're houses built without regulation in a higgledy-piggledy kind of way. And from the outside, it looks so rough and unkempt. But in the majority of those houses, when you actually step into them, you will find that South American families are very house proud and their possessions are kept in very good condition and their houses are spotlessly clean. Beautiful lace tablecloths and you will find a hospitality which is really unrivaled no matter where you travel in this wonderful world. I find them fascinating places to be. And of course they're sketchy. And of course it's where the criminals live and the gangs work out of and all of that stuff. So I'm not recommending that you just go fly into a place like Bogota and you go straight into these slum areas, even if you have a very high risk appetite for travel. If you want to do that, you would go there and you would find yourself a local tourist guide who would be able to escort you and tour you into a place like that. That would be the recommended way to do it. So what is your risk appetite? If your risk appetite is small, but you still want to go there, then quite clearly you're going to take much more care over your security. And you're going to listen to a podcast like this and you're going to diligently take away every single point that is spoken about here and you're going to apply it diligently. If your risk appetite is high, however, and you're quite prepared to step in there, you may completely ignore everything that I have to say. And I say good luck to you. Now, I'm not encouraging you to travel on public transport in India. But by gosh, if you want to get the legitimate immersive Indian experience, then maybe take a train trip somewhere. 
You could do the Rajasthan Express or something like that. We travel from Mumbai to Calcutta or to Delhi, certainly long overnight journeys. But traveling on public transport in India is an experience. <laughs> I've traveled all over the place there by train and it's quite something. And it's one of those rare times that I'd encourage you completely ignore your risk appetite if it's very, very low. You want to go and travel first class, great, but I'd say go travel third class down where all the families are jammed in and the bunks are three high and there you will find some of the friendliest people you will find anywhere on the planet. And it will be an uncomfortable experience for sure and there won't be any air conditioning for sure and you need to take your own food with you for sure. But it would be an experience, I tell you, something that will stick with you for the rest of your life. When we're travelling... When we're proposing to go into what appears to be a slightly sketchy country or a, a risky area, very often we become a little bit overly concerned about grand considerations of, uh, am I going to be robbed? Am I going to be stabbed? Am I going to be kidnapped? Am I going to be murdered? All those things actually affect risk appetite. You need to do your precursor research and you need to ensure that you're not unnecessarily exposing yourself to these types of risks. But very often it's the smaller things. I did a lot of soldiering when I was in the military, in the jungles of the world. I have been in the jungles of Borneo, been into the jungles of Malaysia, Central America, South America. And when you go into the jungle for the first time, in the British model of Special Forces selection, SAS selection, you do all this walking over the Welsh mountains, in, usually in the freezing cold of winter, great distances always on your own and then after four weeks or six weeks of that and you're still on the course they just suddenly fly you to Borneo and walk you into the jungle and so for me a young lad coming from the urban jungles of London and Essex going into the real jungle of Borneo was quite a step and quite a different experience and like most people viewing that kind of an environment from the outside, you think, what are the big problems going to be here? What is the risk appetite? Big problems are going to be snakes and crocodiles and all that kind of stuff. It's going to be scorpions. It's going to be stinging spiders. It's going to be all those things that can constrict you and bite you and bleed you and kill you. And, you know, the biggest problems in the jungle are the smallest of things. They're the tiny little insects. They're the mosquitoes that will suck your blood in fair exchange give you malaria. They're the tiny little insects that bite and give you little separating sores. They're the leeches. Leeches aren't really a problem per se, but leeches, we look at them and the darn thing's on your skin and is sucking away your blood and the instinct is to reach out and grab him and rip him out and throw him away. But if you do that, he leaves his teeth in you and the teeth become the focus of infection and you end up with a separating sore and the sore develops and over the course of weeks those sores would separate and get bigger and bigger and ultimately infection would go into your blood and you'd end up with septicemia and with septicemia there was only one way out of that for you and that was into the grave. So the smallest of the things become the biggest of the problems and can have the most serious of consequences for you. And so it is when we travel, very often we're just concerned about the big things. 
They'll say, oh my goodness gracious, you know, there's a history of people getting kidnapped here. There's a history of people being robbed and mugged here. And yet it's the easier things. You're back in your hotel. And of course, because you're backpacking or whatever, you're staying at relatively cheap hostels and it doesn't have great security safe and all that in your hotel. But you just leave your pack and you just nip out around the corner for a nice kebab on the street. And when you come back, your pack's still there. But the next day when you're searching out your wallet or you're searching out your cell phone or whatever, guess what? It's not there. Because you allowed the bigger issues to overwhelm you and you figured, well, I've survived. I wasn't kidnapped. I wasn't mugged. I wasn't whatever on the streets. And now you're in the safety of your hotel and your guard is down. And you're not looking to those smaller things like the security of your personal effects can be devastating for you. You lose your passport at the back end of beyond. It's one hell of a regain. So sometimes taking care of the smaller things, like, oh my God, is my wallet going to be safe? Is my passport going to be safe? As opposed to, am I going to be stabbed? Am I going to be kidnapped? Very often it's the smaller things. So we need to take proper account of the smaller issues as well as the larger issues. Here's a handy way of assessing risk and visualising the risks that are before you when you're going to undertake something or when you're going to travel. You can have a a simple matrix, which is essentially divided up into four areas. The first one is, well, there's a high probability of you being affected by the risk that you're looking at. And if you are affected, it has a high impact upon you. Uh, Conversely, it may be a low probability of you encountering that risk, but it still has a high impact upon you. And then thirdly, a low probability of encountering the risk but it only has a low impact on you anyway, or a high probability of encountering that risk, but once again, it's just a low impact. And what that then gives you is basically a score of one to four, one being the least risky, four being the riskiest. So number one would be the low probability, low impact. You're going to go to somewhere, you're going to catch a cold or something like that, but it doesn't really have much an effect upon you. So, well, of course, you'd still go, wouldn't you? Number two is there's a high probability of you encountering the risk but once again it has just a low impact upon you in that scenario you've just got to think a little bit before you get into the activity at hand or you go to the place you're planning to go to the third one then and we're getting riskier down this uh, step ladder here is a low probability of encountering the risk but if you do encounter it it's going to have a pretty high impact upon you an example of that might be skiing Uh, low probability you're going to have an accident but if you do have an accident well maybe you're going to break a leg or something like that so once again you've just got to be very careful as you step into that arena make sure you've got the right kit make sure you've got the right training but the arena to actually avoid or the step to avoid is number four which is a high probability of encountering the risk and if you do encounter it it's going to have a high negative impact upon you unless you're an extreme risk taker that's a That's the category that you're seeking to avoid. I very often feel that the person that has a high appetite risk is much more at risk than the other person because that person will trend towards recklessness. What I'm saying here is that there is a balance to be made between immersion into difficult environments and your sense of responsibility towards yourself and indeed other people you may be taking there with you. Are you just completely immersive and up for it or are you just being reckless? 
So when you're looking at the more difficult areas of the world, whether they're difficult in a security context or a safety context, you've got to be very cognizant of where is that dividing line between ambition and recklessness. I'm actually advocating that we need to be quite relaxed as we travel around the world. The more relaxed you become, the more you just become part of the tapestry of the world. And the world broadly will actually just absorb you, put its arms around you, and you'll be perfectly okay. We really hope you enjoyed this episode of Adventure Smart. Huge thanks to Bob for his invaluable expertise. When you listen in the Circa app, you'll also unlock pictures and maps and information on everything in our podcasts and guides, including this one. And the best part? You can contact local concierges directly for any queries, ensuring that your adventures are as enriching and safe as possible. Throughout this series, Bob will be your guide to embracing the thrill of travel while ensuring your safety. Together, we'll venture into some of the world's most exhilarating and lesser-known destinations, where you'll learn the art of navigating challenging environments confidently and securely. Bob will help you with the skills and knowledge to travel like a pro, sharing critical insights and strategies for safe and adventurous exploration. We'll help you to level up your travel experiences. Listen to Adventure Smart, a traveler's bootcamp on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or download the Circa app. That's C-E-R-C-A. In there, you'll find an extensive collection of city and country guides, travel podcasts, and more. Visit CircaTravel.com. Circa. Love the world you live in, and we'll help you explore it.